Good morning, everybody. There we go. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And uh, we're going to be looking at Moses, uh, week four of a five-week series, just to quickly bring us up to speed where we've been. Uh, The children of Israel, all 70 of them, walked into Egypt uh, with Jacob. And this is a couple hundred years later. Uh, They become slaves after Jacob dies. Uh, We see a couple things happen. Moses comes on the scene. Uh, God speaks to Moses in this burning bush. We saw that lesson two weeks ago. Last week we looked at the plagues. And Dave Barber took us through those ten plagues. And today we're specifically focused on that tenth plague. Uh, And it's, it's kind of a strange word to use for just death. But the Bible calls it a plague, so we'll call it a plague. That's where it is. Um, and this is all about, today is all about, um, you're awesome, Terry. I love you. Today is all about let my people go. It is all about that process whereby God reached in and delivered Israel from the Egyptians. Now, specifically what today's lesson is going to focus on is this series of events. Um, this is not Lemony Thicket. It's not unfortunate. It's actually kind of cool series. The series of events that leads to uh, the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And God sets out in Exodus chapter 12 all these directions. And when you read through the directions, you're kind of like, what does that have to do with anything? Because we're talking about leaving from one location to another location. So I would be thinking about stuff like, you know, making sure the, the cattle's been fed and making sure the kids have extra diapers and all that kind of stuff. And that's not the directions that God gives. God gives them all sorts of directions. You lost your cool hat. Um, God gives them all sorts of directions about how to eat this meal. And I'm going, we're about to move a couple million people, and you're going to spend your last bit of directions talking about eating this meal. And I'm going, really? That's different from from my perspective. So... In case you miss it today, we're going to mention it a few times, but the Passover Seder, this meal, is all about Jesus. It points to Jesus. It has Jesus' elements all throughout, and this is all about Jesus. So, very quickly, as we look at Exodus chapter 12, I'm just going to skim through some of these verses. You look at verse 3. This is uh, God talking to Moses and Aaron. said, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth, month, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Skip down to verse 6. You keep the lamb until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. See how this has nothing to do with moving a couple million people? Right? We're killing a lamb, and we're, we're getting ready to move a couple million people. Take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it, and they shall eat the flesh on that night, and they roast it in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. So not only, not only is it a meal, it, you're going to eat it with bitter herbs. So it doesn't necessarily even taste all that great. Okay? So skip down to verse 12. Because this is what's going to happen. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I and if you grew up in church, you might remember these words. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word Passover. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Skip on down to verse 28. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And this is the smartest thing they do. 
in like all of Exodus. Whenever you see this sentence, something good is about to happen. Verse 29, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the, Egypt, in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. God was serious about this. And if you think, if you get the perception that, you know, God really, he gets angry at sin. Yes, he does. Things die because of sin. That's the way this works. And it's a bloody process. Let's get down to verse 31. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. This is Pharaoh talking. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. Go, 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 go. Right? And take stuff with you. And we skip down to verse 35. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. So they're on their way out, right? They're walking out of their house, and they go, hey, you got any gold? Can I have your earrings? Like, seriously, and your rings and all that. And the, and the Egyptians give it to them. They give it to them. So now, now they've got stuff because they had nothing. They had nothing, and God delivered them, and he provides everything for them. Verse 36, the, at the very end, thus they plundered the Egyptians. Beautiful. And verse, skip down to verse 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years to the day, the day Jacob walked in, to the day Moses led the children of Israel out was 430 years. 430 years, twice as long as the history of our country. And they walk out, millions of people loaded down with stuff. So today what we're gonna look at is that Passover process. So if you've got your notes, get your hand out. So the Passover in Egypt. So there's three different perspectives that we're going to look at. The Passover in Egypt, the Passover at the time of Christ, and then the Passover today. <clears throat> so the Passover in Egypt. So there are three parts to this Passover in Egypt. One was the lamb. One was the lamb, and this is a perfect lamb. It had to be an absolutely perfect lamb. Two was unleavened bread. They were in a hurry. This was not a, let's sit down and have a leisurely meal, and everything's not. This is a hurry-up meal. And number three is bitter herbs, to remind them of this bitterness of slavery. You remember our conversation? You didn't like the bread? It's like, oh, it's awful. It's okay, you're not supposed to. It's all right. So there were specific instructions associated with this meal as well. They take, they take uh, this shrub and they dip it in blood and then they go beating on the door in front of the house. Now, if you've ever gotten a shrub wet and then smacked it against something, it goes everywhere. It goes, this was a nasty, bloody process. Blood, they would have, the man who did this would have been drenched in blood. This was a dirty process. God tells them to continue this forever. Today, they are supposed to continue doing this. And then they're supposed to wait for their deliverance because that's what God does. Now, transition a couple thousand years to the New Testament, to the time of Jesus Christ. Josephus, one of the early historians, tells us that uh, at the time of Jesus Christ, there were somewhere around two and a half million Jews in Jerusalem practicing the Passover. This would have required somewhere around 250,000 lambs to have been slaughtered at noon on the Passover. 250,000. This was a big deal. Now, by the time it had gotten to Jesus' time, the Passover meal was a relaxed event. Everybody ate it sitting down. It was calm. It was slow because we weren't about to leave Egypt, right? It had totally changed. The focus, however, was still on the Passover lamb. 
Now Terry's going to come up and we're going to talk about what, uh, what the Jews see as uh, Passover today. Passover today. I am representing the uh, father of a Jewish family. This is how we would practice. This is uh, my chosen people. This is my family of, of Jews here. And this is our table. And I'm going to walk through the practice of, of all that went on, goes on today. Now, there's a lot of variances and a lot of changes. It's like asking a Christian, what are you supposed to do on Christmas? Okay? There's a lot of changes. There are a lot of standards. And a lot of them will follow those. But there's variations in all of them. So I'm going to share the most common ones. And uh, we're going to move through this kind of fast. If you bear with me a little bit. Um, this is called a Seder plate. Um, they're all different. And uh, there's differences. But these six little grooves in here for the various things are, is pretty much the standard. The rest, the design, the colors, all kinds of things will change. You have seven basic elements when it comes to the Passover. Um, you'd have the family. Of course, I'm the father. I would sit at the head of the table, but not at that head. That is the seat of Elijah. We have down here the cup of Elijah. As all of you can read that, it says cup of Elijah. Right? I would sit at this head of the table. The basic elements in a Passover, in modern day um, um, Jewish Passover, we don't have the temple, no sacrifices, no lamb. So they will use a bone, usually a, a shank bone from a lamb. Sometimes they'll use, out of convenience, a chicken bone. Um, very indicative of, of Israel today, um, very dried. And, and dead religion without the reality of the Messiah. That is there. They also use um, unleavened bread. Always referred to as matzah. That's become the central point of the Passover. They'll use bitter herbs. Usually use two different kinds. Um, something like or horseradish. Smell good? Horseradish. And maybe some parsley or some, um, uh, sometimes they'll use celery, uh, something that they'll use for, for two different purposes here. Um, also use a bowl of salt water. That what we use for a second. The bowl of salt water represents the tears of slavery. Um, the bitter herbs represent the bitterness of slavery. Um, you also have something called haraseth. It's a fruit. Fruit mixture, usually apples, um, different types of nuts. It's got apples, almonds, raisins, some grape juice mixed together, and something sweet that goes in the center here. Um, common saying among rabbis is for out of the pressure of slavery came the sweetness of deliverance. And so there's always something a little sweet added. Also, sometime after Christ, um, it's very unsure. We don't know when. We don't really know why. But an egg was added to the Passover. And that's kept. It's usually a roasted egg. A um, lot of speculation. You can ask me about that later. Um, that is added. And then we have four cups of the vine. And these all correspond to the four I wills that God quoted in Exodus chapter 6. And we will talk about those. The sixth, There's a sixth one. I didn't put anything in it. Because there is no standard. Um, if you go to different, different uh, um, sources, 
Some will tell you to put all kinds of different things in there. Some will just put the matzah and, and place it on the corner, hang it over the plate. That's always different. Um, not a standard to that. As far as the Passover, talking about the preparation. Sometime the week of Passover, right before, the whole family will take and just thoroughly clean their house, getting everything. God told them no leaven anywhere in the house. Leaven in the Old Testament so often represented sin and evil, and they were to purge that from their house. So a lot of them will take this time to just do a spring cleaning and just really clean out their house. And then the night before Passover, what they will do is led by the Father, they will take a candle and they will walk around the house in in symbolic representation of removing that leaven. And he will take a feather and a wooden spoon. And they will conveniently leave a little bit of leaven somewhere, some crumbs somewhere on a counter. And they will walk up and they will take that feather representing just the minute detail that they thoroughly clean their house of this leaven, this chametz, as it's called in Hebrew. And he will brush it off into the wooden spoon. By the next morning of Passover, they will take that leaven, they will wrap it in, a, in some kind of napkin, and they will burn it, representing that it is, fi- it is finished, it is all gone. Their house is clean. On the day of Passover, um, well, let me say this. That hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, Jesus tells us the same thing today. He tells us we need to purge the leaven from our lives, the evil, the wickedness. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 tells us about that and mentions Christ is our Passover, and we need to get the leaven out, the, the wickedness, the evil, the sin. Um, the day of Passover. On the day of Passover, the father, all the male members of the household, will go to synagogue, and they will worship. Only the male members. Um, they, and there's no standard here. Some will go for long periods of time. It may be twice in that day. But it's only the men that will go that day. The women, they stay home because we're going to have this feast that evening. And they're preparing that meal. And they're getting the table set and all the things in order to prepare for that. And it's usually a pretty big to-do. Big feast, lots of good food. Um, several things that are being said, and I just want to make you aware of. Um, Jim has mentioned, I've mentioned a couple times, you'll hear it again, the word Seder. Seder is Hebrew, it means order. There's an order to the process. There's also what's called a Haggadah. Haggadah means telling. And there are usually books that many different ones use. This is put out by Friends of Israel, talking about the order of, or the process that you go through. It'll have things in there not only about the, what we do, It'll have the songs that are sung. It'll have verses that are read um, and quoted. It will have the story that is told in the Haggadah. This is a sample of one if anybody wants to look at that later. So let's talk about the Seder. Let's talk about the general order of the service. What happens is at the very beginning, you have the lighting of the candles. Now that's not done by the father. That's done by the mother. Um... The rabbis say it is through the woman that the light of the Messiah will be restored to the world. And that's through Old Testament scripture. We got got the virgin will conceive. We have uh, Genesis 3.15 that talks about uh, um, the seed of the woman through which the Messiah is going to come, that promise. So the matriarch, the mother, whoever is the, the lead female, she will light the candle. She will pronounce a blessing. 
and start things off. Then you have the first of the four cups. It's called the cup of sanctification. This corresponds to the first I will in Exodus 6.6. 6. God said, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Sanctification's fancy word. You all probably heard it here many times. just means separation. God separated the Jews at this time for a special purpose unto himself. And he does that to us too. We are separated unto him for his use, for his glory, for a special purpose. So he will take the wine or the fruit of the vine. Many will use wine today. That wasn't always the case because they were supposed to remove everything fermented from the house. Um, today, wine will be used very commonly in some of these. Um, the father will lift up the glass and he will say, a blessing. Baruch atah melech heolam prehagafen. You all know what that means, right? Uh, no interpreter of tongues? No? Okay. Um, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And with that, they all drink the first cup. Now, drink whatever you want. Um, then we have a very symbolic washing of the hands. The mother will, will pick up a bowl and a pitcher, and she will walk around, and she will walk. everybody will wash their hands before anything is eaten. And um, um, I thought this was very, very um, picturesque of us and what we do, because after we take the cup of sanctification, after we get saved, the first thing of, of business is we are washed. We are cleansed through baptism. It's very picturesque, as they will do that before anything is eaten, before anything starts. Then you have um, number four, the carpus. These are bitter herbs. These are taken. You take these right here, the leafy ones, and it's dipped in the salt water, and everybody eats. And this represents, of course, the bitterness of slavery, and the tears that were shed in slavery. It's also a very reminder of what Jim talked about in the, the picture of the hyssop that they used when they took this leafy plant and they dipped it in the blood and they just splattered it against that doorpost. So again, there's a very picturesque thing. God said, I want you to always remember where you came from. I want you to remember that you were slaves in Egypt. He says that over and over again. Exodus 13, 8 says that for one instance. Number five, you got the breaking, breaking of the afikomen. You will have some form. This is not, there's no standard to this either. Some form of cloth. And it will have three different compartments. And each compartment has a piece of matzah in it. A piece of unleavened bread. Now the afikomen, what the father will do is he will go to that middle piece and take out the middle piece and he will break it. Then he will take a linen cloth and he will wrap it up. And then he will go out into the house somewhere and he will hide it. And later the kids will go and they will have to find it. That's part of this process. 
Um, several things about this I want to share with you. Now, the Jews will say a couple different things. It may, the three compartments represent prophet, priest, and king. Some will say it represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But frequently, they will always say you take the middle piece and only the middle piece out and you break it. Um, I've never got a good answer about the breaking of it from a from Jewish standpoint, but they take that middle piece because it represents a Messiah. He is taken out of the midst of Israel because this, this right here, there will be other matzah on the table that they will use for the meal, but this right here, they take that middle piece out because it represent, this represents the Israeli people. And they say the, the Messiah will come out of the midst of Israel and he is hidden away until the time of his deliverance. And that's the symbolism that they're trying to portray when they're doing this. After that, you have um, the Haggadah itself, uh, or the telling. Um, What will happen is the youngest son, the youngest son will ask four questions. Okay? The four questions are pretty standard. They're pretty much the same as the time of Christ when they would do it. He will say, and the Father will answer in all the questions. He will say, why do we eat only unleavened bread on this night? And the Father will answer, because we were delivered from slavery in great haste. He will ask, why did we eat bitter, why do we eat bitter herbs especially on this night? The Father will say, because our lives were bitter in slavery. Child will say, why do we dip twice on this night? And he says, because salt water represents the tears of slavery and the haraset represents the uh, sweetness of the hope of deliverance. And the final question, he'll say, why do we recline on this night? Remember in the upper room how they were all reclining? They don't do that now, but it's a very leisurely process, this whole process. A Passover meal will take hours through the whole doing of the ceremony, through the eating, and this, the final parts of the ceremony afterwards. It's a very leisurely process. You say, why do we recline on this night? And the Father will say, because we are free. We no longer have to leave in haste. And then the Father will share the telling, the Haggadah. He will share about Moses, about his birth, about the, the plagues, about how they were delivered in the Passover that night, and what all is going on. Then at the end of that, they will chant or sing the Hallel. Uh, Psalm 113 through 118 is the Hallelujah Psalms. Psalm 113 and 114, the Jews call the Hallel. And they will chant those or, or recite them or, or sing them. Number seven, you have the second cup. It's called the cup of thanksgiving or the cup of deliverance. This corresponds to the second I will that God said, I will rid you out of your bondage. This is a reminder to the Jews of the judgment and the deliverance. We have a picture of that in the upper room also in Luke twenty-two seventeen, where Jesus took this, this cup and it says he gave thanks. That's the same cup that is taken, the second cup that is taken. And they bless and they give thanks. And that goes from there. Number eight, the breaking and setting of the remaining matzah. Or, or yeah, breaking and eating of the remaining matzah. You take what's left. The Afikoman, the middle piece has been taken out. They take what's left, and they eat. 
And this special time just to eat these two pieces is to remind them of that haste that, um, that it took, that God delivered them and how they, they were to leave Israel or Egypt in haste. Nine and ten um, combinations. Some do both. Some do one or the other or combine them. Um, number nine, the eating of the bitter herbs with matzah. What they will do is they'll take a spoon and they'll dip it into the horseradish and then they will dip some into the harasath together and eat it. The bitter and the sweet. The bitterness reminds them of the slavery. The sweetness reminds, reminds, excuse me, reminds them of the future hope, the future promise that they've been given. The number 10, the eating of the Hillel sandwich. We see this also in uh, the New Testament in the upper room. Um, Hillel came on the scene about 100 years before Christ. And what they would do, what was very common, and what they do today, is they would take some matzah, and they would put bitter herbs on it. At the time of Christ, they'd put lamb on it. They may put some other things on it today. And they'd take another piece of matzah. They may break it a little bit, not quite this big, but... And then they would take that sandwich called the Hillel sandwich and they would dip it into the Harasath and they would eat. In, uh, in the New Testament, we have that, that sample of when Christ took and he took and he dipped and he handed, calls it the sop to Judas Iscariot. That was probably the Hillel sandwich. At this time, we eat. Um, we're very similar in Baptists and Jews. It's always a, something to do with eating attached to everything. And we eat big. Big meals, big to do, take our time, meal, dessert, um, anything like that. Because then we come to number 11. The Afikoman is brought out of its hiding place. The father will send the children out. They'll go looking for the hidden, hidden Afikoman. They'll bring it back. They'll bless it. They'll eat, they'll eat it. Um, by this time, hopefully you're starting to get a little picture of what this is all about. This afikoman is always the second of three pieces. It hasn't always been, but for, for many, many years now, it is always striped. It is always pierced through. There's little holes all over this thing. It is always broken. Every Passover. It is always wrapped in linen. It is always hidden or buried away. It is always brought out. And for its deliverance, there is a payment made. If you're still not getting the picture... The Afikoman is the only word in the entire Passover that's not Hebrew. It's Greek. The Jews will say it means dessert because it's the very last thing that they will eat. The literal Greek interpretation means he came. And they use that. The third cup, the cup of redemption or cup of judgment. God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Um, 
This, this cup was the third one that's taken. We see that in the upper room. Because at this cup, he said, take. Oh, I, I missed the Afrikaner. When they eat it. When they eat it, he says, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. That was this, when the Afrikaner is brought back. Then they immediately take this third cup. He says, take, drink. This is my blood in the new covenant that was shed for many for remission of sins. And they drink again. In the upper room, it says, they, they sang some songs, they went out into the night. But in the Passover, there was then, and still is today, a fourth cup. The fourth cup is a cup of acceptance, or the cup of the kingdom. It corresponds to Exodus 6, 7, where God said, I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God who bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And they will drink this fourth cup. Now, from this point, from a believer's standpoint, as you're seeing all this and watching what's going on, the next few things are very sad because the oldest son typically will get up, he will go to the door, and he will open it, looking for Elijah. Once they open the door, they will sing um, the remainder of the Hallelujah Psalms, um, and then the father will pray. They use a fairly standard prayer. He says... O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, long we waited for your promise. We plead with you now. Send your anointed whom thou hast promised, the son of David. Have mercy upon your people, Israel. Gather us according to your word when we shall be your people and will delight in us as of old. Behold, all things are ready and we are waiting. And then the oldest son, after they sing songs, will close the door because Elijah didn't come. But he already came. Said uh, Jesus said it was John the Baptist. And he announced Jesus. He said, Behold, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And upon that, a final prayer is given. How long, O Lord, how long will, you, will your anger be turned, turned towards your people? When you have mercy, will, you have, will you not have mercy and restore us to your favor? At least next year, may we celebrate this feast with you in Jerusalem, your habitation. And that is the end of the Passover. Did that explain a lot of stuff in the New Testament or what? Yeah. It's amazing. So a couple things. So what's the point of all this, right? I mean, because we're living several thousand years after this hurried up meal to get everybody out of Egypt. Well, a couple things. One, this illustrates the passing of the covenant. When Jesus talked about this is the cup of the new covenant, the old covenant is passed away, the new covenant is here. This is a transition period. Two, we see the presence of Christ. Now, hopefully if you were paying attention, you know the answers to most of these little blanks right here, right? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? I mean, that's an easy one. He's the lamb of God. Jesus is the leaven-free matzah. There's no sin in him whatsoever. Jesus is the the broken afikoman. He was broken. He was pierced. He was striped. He was uh, wrapped in a linen cloth. He was hidden. He was brought forth. There was a, a price that was paid. And what do you think that next blank is? Not Jesus is. Jesus took. Jesus took the bitterness of God's judgment for us. He drank that cup, that cup of redemption. This is the cup when he prayed in the garden, Lord, not my will but yours. If you would have me to drink this cup, then I will. And he did. He drank that third cup, that cup of redemption. 
Uh, sometimes when you hear someone pray uh, in over the the communion. We actually are having communion tonight. We're having the, the modern-day Christian version of Passover tonight where we take the bread and we take the cup and we drink. And sometimes when you hear someone pray, they'll say, thank you, Lord, for this third cup. And this is the third cup that, you're talk that we're talking about here. He took that cup of bitterness for us. Now, for me, the Passover is all about the cups. It's all, all, all about the cups. So the first one, if you're looking at Exodus 6, look at verse 6 and 7. You see, you see the I will bring you out? That's that cup of sanctification. So God sets us apart for his service. And Terry talked about this. That second cup, I will rescue you, this cup of deliverance. So he set us apart, but he hasn't protected us from everything that's around us at this point. This, this deliverance is the protection from everything that is around. So now we're set apart and we're protected. The third cup of redemption is I will redeem you. I will, I will fix you. See, the first two are about your surroundings. The last two are about you, yourself. This is the cup that Jesus said, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the fourth cup, and this is where it gets good, the fourth cup is the cup of acceptance. This, God says, I will take you and be your God. In Luke 22, Jesus says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus wouldn't drink the fourth cup in the upper room. You know why? Because he's going to drink that one with us. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, he's going to drink the fourth cup. Now picture this. All the saints throughout all the ages are seated with Christ. And Christ comes and he sits at the head of this table. And he takes this fourth cup, the cup of acceptance, the cup that represents that we are accepted by God. And we all drink together. Because God drank the first cup, this cup of separation, because he did the work to separate us. God drank the second cup, this cup of deliverance, because he did the work to deliver us. Jesus Christ drank the third cup, the cup of redemption, because he, through the purchase of his, the spilling of his blood, purchased us. But we all get to participate in the fourth cup, because we become family with God at that point for all time. And it is this beautiful picture of what God has done. So. Here's my prayer. My prayer for you is that may you know the peace and the joy and the love and the hope of the fourth cup because it's not about the first three. It's about that fourth one. It's about what is yet to come. Amen? It's a pepper. It's going to be an awesome meal. I don't know how many bitter herbs are going to be at that marriage supper of the lamb, okay? They may be. They might be there. I don't know, but I'm not sure. So the last blank on your handout, in case you missed it, in case you thought we were talking about somebody else today, it's all about Jesus, it's always about Jesus, and it's only about Jesus.